McLean Bible, what's going on? How you doing this morning? You good? All right. If you got a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and turn to Mark 14. Uh, Mark 14, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Mark 14, 1 through 11. So good morning, everybody who's here, everybody who's at our locations, everybody who's watching online. My name is Eric. I'm the location pastor over at uh, the Arlington uh, location. Shout out to NBC Arlington uh, this morning. And um, I'm looking forward to being in God's Word with you. And so as I start off, we're going to read the text, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to hear what God has for us this morning. And so if you're not quite at Mark 14 yet, don't worry about it, or the words are going to be on the screen. And so here it is. It says, it was now two days before the Passover at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to, to themselves indignantly, why was that ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And this is the word of God. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you would reveal yourself to us through your word. Father, may we understand that when your word is open, your mouth is open, that you are speaking. And when you are speaking, we would do well to hear. So, Father, help us not only to listen to your word, help us to hear it and to respond to it in the way that we should in faith and obedience this morning. Father, we need you to do that. Not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. I pray these things in the only way that I can, and that is in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. So I pray these things in his name. If you agree, say amen, amen. amen. So... McLean Bowell, so listen, I love going to thrift stores, and that always wasn't the case. Let me tell you why now. I like going to thrift stores now because I've read too many stories of people walking into the thrift store with $5 and walking out with something that was priceless. And the reason why I'm doing that is because, listen, I live in Arlington, Virginia, and as of this August, uh, my wife and I, we're going to have three mouths to feed in our household. So listen, you got to do what you got to do. Right? You got to do what you got to do. Listen, some people, some people play the lottery to hit it big. I don't do that. I go to thrift stores. So this, so this is what I do. And so one of the stories that I heard back in the day is a story of a woman named Laura Young. Laura was an antiques dealer, and she was also a resident of Austin, Texas. She walked into a local thrift store one day, and nothing prepared her for what she saw. So on the counter, she saw what was this bust. It was a, a statue. It looked ancient, it looked Roman, 
And despite the logical question as of how would something like that end up in Austin, Texas, she saw it and she imagined that this thing probably was something that was very, very, very special. You see, she looked at it and it was beautifully constructed. She looked at it and it, was, it looked incredibly valuable. And so she went to the cash register. She emptied her pockets of the $35 that she had and she took it home. And she was right. That bust that she brought from that thrift store turned out to be from ancient Rome. It was made in the first century, and she gave up $35 for something that turned out to be almost priceless. So I think about her every single time I navigate the aisles of my local thrift store. How she got a glimpse of the beauty and the worth of what was right in front of her, and she was willing to give whatever was in her pocket for what was truly treasured. But I don't only think about her, I also think about how long was that bus there before she picked it up and took it back home? How many people walked past that bus and they might have looked at it, they might have actually picked it up and turned it over in their hands, they might have examined it, and all those people just thinking, who thought that $35 would be a waste to spend on something that turned out to be priceless? how they missed the glory and worth of what was right in front of them. And this story, I believe, tells us something about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hear me this morning, this is where we're going. A disciple is someone who sees and responds to the glory and the worth of Jesus Christ. Someone who follows Jesus, who gives your life to Jesus, you are someone who sees and responds to the glory and worth of Jesus Christ. And this is a glory and a worth that other people don't seem to see. And this is where we are in this text today. Uh, this is a story of a woman who sees and responds to the glory and the worth of Jesus Christ in ways that other people in the text don't quite understand. You see, the story of this woman is actually sandwiched in between another story. The, so, the, the, the story of this woman who sees and responds to the glory and worth of Jesus Christ is sandwiched in a story in the middle of the plot to kill Jesus Christ. So in this text, we actually have a story within a story. And let me tell you, the gospel writer Mark, he doesn't write this way because he, have a sh because he has a short attention span. He writes this way, this was an intentional literary device that Mark used often in the gospel to drive home a point of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. He puts this, the story of this woman in sharp relief of the story of the plot to kill Jesus Christ so that we might find ourselves in the narrative. And the question that we should have is which narrative is ours? Who are we? Are we more like the woman who sees and responds to the glory and worth of Jesus Christ? Or are we more like the people who don't see it? And so let's look at the story side by side. And let's do this. Let's look at verses one and two. Here it is. It says, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So this first story, right, it starts off, the main characters are the religious leaders of the day, the chief priests and the scribes. And while they should be preparing for a celebration, they should be happy, they should be doing this, but they were actually seething with anger. 
This was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if you don't know what that is, those two events together were a seven-day celebration where the people of God got together in order to remember and celebrate the fact that all those years ago, that the God of heaven came down to their ancestors in Egypt, rescued them from slavery, and brought them out with a mighty hand. So this should be a celebration. This should be a big family reunion. This should be a party. And yet enjoying themselves, and yet instead of enjoying themselves, all the chief priests and the scribes could see is blood. They wanted Jesus dead. They are hostile to Jesus. Why is that? I actually think we see a reason for their hostility in the text. So in this text, they're plotting to kill Jesus, and they say, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Think about this. In this moment, their biggest concern isn't the, isn't the complete fact that it is inappropriate to kill somebody. Their chief concern isn't even the fact that, hey, regardless of how inappropriate it is to kill somebody, that you're going to do it right before a, 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 a famous religious uh, a festival. That's not their biggest concern. Their biggest concern in this text in verse 2 is public opinion. Their biggest concern in this text is this, their own glory. And this matches what Jesus says about them. Jesus was constantly talking about these guys, how they love the places of honor. They love being seen as great. They love being thought well of. They love the glory from people, and this made them hostile towards Jesus because Jesus threatened their glory. So I want you to hold this story in your head. We're going to come back to it. Because verse 3, the scene changes. We shift to a different story. Look at verse 3. It says, And while he was at Bethany, Jesus, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So background, Jesus is outside of Jerusalem. And he's at a celebration at Simon the leper's house. This is the city of Bethany. Uh, this is the place that Jesus was staying during the week. And it's also the same place, Bethany, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And it's likely that this gathering at Simon the leper's house is a celebration. So some commentators think that, that, that they're there celebrating the fact that Jesus had previously raised Lazarus from the dead. Some others think that, they, hey, they're there celebrating the fact that Jesus healed a Simon of uh, the, the leper, of leprosy. So they're all there. It's a party. It's a celebration. The disciples are there. Jesus is there. Simon the leper is there. Lazarus is there. Mary and Martha, his friends, are there. And in the middle of this party, Mary comes, and she has this, this flask of ointment, a pure nard. It's, 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 a, it's incredibly expensive. We'll talk later about the value of it. But Mary does something here that Mark doesn't tell us about. In John's account of this incident, Mary not only pours the ointment all over Jesus, she also gets down, bows down, loosens her hair, and wipes the ointment on her feet with her hair. And let me tell you right now, that act would have stopped the party. I don't know what kind of party this was. I don't know if a DJ was present. But if the DJ was playing the wobble, if the DJ was playing the electric slide, it would have stopped mid-song. It would have stopped mid-song. The record would have scratched. Why is that? Because what she did would have been seen as incredibly scandalous and as incredibly undignified. 
Because you see, during that day, women did not let down their hair in public. It would have been seen as unseemly, but Mary couldn't care less. It's interesting, throughout the scriptures, in places like 1 Corinthians 11, a woman's hair was described as her glory. Hang with me. So this woman takes her hair, lets it down, and uses it as a tool, her glory, and uses her glory as a tool to humbly call attention to the matchless glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. So hold on. Let's put these two stories side by side, because it tells us something about what it means to follow Jesus. The religious leaders can't see the glory of Jesus Christ because their own glory is in the way. But Mary reveals something important about what it means to follow Jesus, and here it is. Listen, when you see the glory of Jesus Christ, you stop living for your own. When you see the glory of Jesus Christ, listen to me this morning, you stop living for your own. I'm going to give you a story that illustrates this. It was a story back in 1994, and it was in the figure skating world. I don't know too much about figure skating, but I remember this story. It was a story of Tanya Harding and how she wanted the glory of making the Olympic team. However, there was one woman that stood in her way. This woman, her name was Nancy Kerrigan. Nancy Kerrigan had performed as well as her up until that point, and also the public seemed to like Nancy Kerrigan a bit more. And Tanya could not have that, so she hatched a plot, and, and people showed up at one of the practices of Nancy Kerrigan, and they took a crowbar to Nancy Kerrigan's knee, effectively removing, uh, removing Nancy from Tanya's path to glory. And this is exactly something that the Pharisees did. They see Jesus as a threat to their glory, and instead of worshiping him, they removed him from their path of glory. They can't see the glory of Jesus because they're fixated on their own. My question for you this morning is this, is that you? Is that you? Let me tell you a bit more. We all have visions of the glorious life. We all have visions of what might give us glory. We all have visions of the perfect family. We all have visions of the incredible job. We all have visions of the promotion, of the money, of the relationship, of the accolades, of the romantic partners. And we're so focused on our visions of glory, we want it so bad that instead of living for Jesus' glory, we use him to get our vision of glory. And we can even use religion as a tool to do that. So sometimes we can look at Jesus and we'll say, Jesus, I'll come to church. Jesus, I'll worship you. Jesus, I might even serve in children's ministry as long as you don't block my path to glory. As long as, I'll do all that as long as you give me the job. As long as you give me the family. As long as you give me the success. And there are many people, this is scary, there are many people who look like they worship Jesus, but all they're doing is attempting to use Jesus to get to what they truly worship. So my question is that, is this you? You might be thinking, listen, I don't even know if that's me. Let me give you a question that might help. What does your heart do when it feels like Jesus has disappointed you? I'll put it in other words. What does your heart do when it feels like Jesus has frustrated your path to glory? When you're doing absolutely everything right and the family still hasn't come. When you're doing everything right, you're in church, you're worshiping him, you're serving him, and yet the money still is acting funny. 
when you're worshiping him, you're lifting your hands, and yet the recognition still hasn't come, the spouse still isn't there, does your heart harden in anger towards Jesus, or does it respond in trust of Jesus? Amen. Let me give you a difference. Both, you could be disappointed, but a heart that hardens in anger is one that says, Jesus, you've disappointed me, so I have no use of you. Jesus, you've disappointed me, so instead of following you, I'm going to do what I want now. Jesus, you've disappointed me, so instead of obeying you, I'm going to disobey you to get what I want. Jesus, you've disappointed me. You've blocked my path to glory, so I'm simply going to remove you from my life. And if you do that, you're no different than Tanya Harding. You're no different than the chief, than the chief priests and the scribes. But hear me today, a heart that responds in trust is one that says, Jesus, I'm disappointed. It's okay to be disappointed, but I've seen your glory. Jesus, I'm disappointed, but I know you're good. Jesus, I'm disappointed, but I know you're wise. Jesus, I'm disappointed, but I know you're powerful. And so instead of using my disappointment to get rid of you in my life, I'm going to bring my disappointment to you, and I'm going to trust you because my joy is found not in my vision of glory. My joy is found in yours. Listen, when you see the glory of Jesus Christ, hear me, you stop living for your own. Not only that, when you see the glory of Jesus Christ, he redefines what you value. He redefines what you value. So catch this. Mary pours out this expensive jar of perfume, but let's see how expensive it was. Look at verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Y'all, it was worth 300 denarii. You might, have, you might have no clue what that actually means, but commentators say that 300 denarii was worth somebody's yearly salary. Y'all, this was not at body spray. If you were my mom's generation, let, let me bring it home to you. You may not know what at body spray is, but if you're my mom's generation, this was not Elizabeth Taylor White Diamonds. This was crazy expensive. Some commentators say that this was likely, this alabaster jar was likely the source of security for Mary's family. So this ointment would have been something that she could use to keep her family afloat if the family fell on hard times. And she holds none of it back. She pours it all out. She empties out the whole 401k on Jesus. And no one asked her to do this, but she sees the beauty, the value, the worth of Jesus, and she gladly pours it out. How can she do something like this? Here's how. I've already told you, seeing the glory of Jesus Christ redefines what you value. When you meet Jesus, you see that dollar signs and possessions can't touch the fact that you are a son and daughter of the living God. When you meet Jesus, you see that money and possessions can't offer you the security that only Jesus can give. Moth and rust destroy. These will break in and steal, but here's the thing, nothing can pluck you out of the hand of God. Hear me today, when you see the glory of Jesus Christ, your security and worth no longer come from what you hold. It comes from the one who holds you. And this reminds me of a song that I used to hear all the time growing up. You see, I grew up in church, but I haven't always been a Christian. But I remember growing up in church, and I grew up in a church very different than McLean. 
This was the church that when you showed up to church, you were dressed up in the nines. My mom would go off on me right now because I'm wearing this. And so, um, and they, they would be the old church mothers in the church. They would wear these large church hats that you couldn't see beyond them at all. You couldn't see the stage, couldn't see anything but the back of their heads, right? Uh, but I remember I used, to, I used to sit behind Miss Riggins and her big old church hat. And Miss Riggins used to always cry when uh, the choir sang a certain song. And I knew this because of her hat. All I saw was Miss Riggins. I didn't see the stage. I saw Miss Riggins. And I saw her bring out her, uh, her, her tissues. And the song was this old Kurt Franklin song from the 90s. And the song went like this. If I could sing, I'd sing it to you. But I'm just going to say it. It says this, silver and gold, silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. No fame or fortune, no riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. That song Mary would have loved. Here's my question for you. Do you love that song? Does that song describe you? Is Jesus your great treasure? Is he the greatest treasure that you hold? Let me tell you somebody who would not love that song. Judas would not love that song. Look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Y'all catch this. Judas walked with Jesus. He was close to Jesus. And he still didn't see the glory and worth of Jesus because if he did, he would have never, he would have never saw that Jesus was worth less than 30 pieces of silver. Catch this. Jesus, um, Judas looks at the Lord of glory, Jesus himself, and like those who passed over that priceless statue in the thrift shop, he looked at Jesus and said, 30 pieces of silver is worth more. Is that you? It might not be silver, but how many times have you looked at the Lord of glory and you said, you know what, in this moment, my approval is worth more than Jesus? How many times in our lives have we looked at the Lord of glory and we looked at him and we said 30 minutes of porn or 30 minutes of sex is worth more than Jesus Christ? How many times have you looked at the Lord of glory and we said the accolades were worth more than him, the money was worth more than him, the relationship was worth more than him? And what's interesting about Judas is that Judas actually showed affection to Jesus. When Judas betrayed Jesus, he betrayed him with a kiss. And I think that should show us that outward displays of affection to Jesus do not always indicate that we truly value him. Y'all, Mary saw the glory of Jesus, and it changed what she valued. Do you see his glory? You might be looking at me, and you might be saying, Eric, listen, you keep telling me, hey, do you see the glory of Jesus? But I don't even know where to look. What are you talking about? Let me tell you where to look if you want to see the glory of Jesus. You look at the gospel. You look at the gospel. Now, here's the part of the sermon that if you fell asleep during the sermon, go ahead and wake up because this is the most important message that you're going to ever hear. The gospel declares this, that we are all willfully blind to the glory of God. The gospel declares this, that we were made for the glory of God to live in glad obedience to him. 
And instead of obeying, uh, obeying God, we decided to live for our own glory. We decided to be a law unto ourselves. Instead of living in a way that showed uh, the world that God is our greatest treasure, we, instead of obeying and trusting and valuing God, we traded him for his creation. We valued his creation more. The Bible calls that sin, and in our sin, we have offended a just God, and we rightly stand condemned by him. That's not the good news. Here's the good news, that our God sent his son to save us. Amen. The, I love the book of Hebrews because Hebrews at the very beginning, it says that Jesus, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. In other words, Jesus, who's God in the flesh, he came flexing glory. Hang with me. He came flexing God's power and how he commanded the seas to stop. He commanded the dead to rise. He came flexing the glory of God's love in the way that he loved the worst of sinners, the people that we would see as impossible to love. He came flexing God's righteousness in that he never compromised or disobeyed the voice of his Father. And yet, hear me this morning, if all Jesus did was flex his glory, that's not good news. You know why it's not good news? Because we've offended the God of glory. Listen, if you make somebody mad and they look at you with an angry face and they start flexing, that's not good news. You might want to run. I'll drive it even home. If I just smack the bodybuilder, right? Just smack them. Pow. And that bodybuilder looks at me and he's angry and he starts flexing his bicep. That's not good news. I have every reason to fear him. But here's the good news. Jesus did not come merely to flex his glory. He did that. But he also came and he laid his glory aside. You see, Jesus being rich in glory, Philippians 2 says this, that he laid aside his outward glory. What does that mean? The one who was glorious in power became weak. The one who was glorious in love became hated. The one who was glorious in righteousness took on our sin and died a death in shame on the cross. Why did he do that? He did it for you. He did it for you. And here's the part where you could actually get happy. He didn't stay dead. The one who died in shame rose in glory. The one who looked like he got defeated, he rose victorious over sin, Satan, death, and the grave, giving us an opportunity. If we truly came to him and confessed our sin, that we could be forgiven. Amen. If we would confess our sin and confess the fact that we haven't valued him in the way that we should, when we confess that we live for our glory rather than his, we could be forgiven by simply turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus as Lord. This is good news. He'll forgive you, and he'll change you. He's proved that he'll do this. Let me show you how he proved it. Because here's the thing. The religious leaders and the scribes were not the only people living for their own glory. You remember James and John? Remember in the Gospels when James and John, they walked up to Jesus, and they said, yeah, Jesus, you're glorious, but we want our glory too. Remember when they walked up to Jesus and said, hey, would you give us a, a place at the left side or the right side of your kingdom? They were living for their own glory. But I love James and John because the moment they saw Jesus' glory in the gospel, they stopped living for their own glory, and they started living for Jesus. Amen. He forgave them. And check this out. Judas wasn't the only one that betrayed Jesus. Peter did too. Peter showed up and given an opportunity to declare the value of Jesus. He said that my security and my reputation, he said, I value that more. But in the gospel, Jesus died for Peter. He forgave Peter, 
And, G- and Peter stopped living for the value of the things of this world, and he started living for the value of Jesus. Listen, if forgiveness and transformation is available to people like James, John, and Peter, guess what this morning? It's available to you too. Amen. It's available to you too. Amen. Trust in Jesus as Lord. Amen. A disciple is someone who sees and responds to the glory and the worth of Jesus Christ. Is that you? Man, as I close and the the band comes back out, I want to tell you a couple of things that you can expect if you are actually living in light of the glory and worth of Jesus Christ. Here's one thing that you can expect. Here it is. Expect that other people will say that your life is wasteful. Expect that other people will say that your life is wasteful. Verse 4, after Mary pours out the ointment on Jesus gladly and freely, The people around her declare, why was the ointment wasted like that? And here's the thing, when you live your life of glad obedience to Jesus Christ, other people will say the same exact thing. These are people who can't see the glory. If you are living your life and making decisions in response to the glory of Jesus, you can expect that there will be people who say that you're wasting it. Let me ask you a question. If someone observed your life, Could they point to some aspect of your life and say, if Jesus isn't Lord, they're wasting that? Do you ever make decisions that don't make sense if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, or do you simply look like your neighbor who who doesn't see the glory of Jesus? Would they say, if Jesus isn't Lord, they're wasting their money. If Jesus isn't Lord, they're wasting their time. If Jesus isn't Lord, they're wasting their resources, their gifts, their upward mobility. Hear me this morning, if there's nothing in your life that you have not poured out at the feet of Jesus because of your devotion to him, that should give you pause as if, as if you're actually following him. But here's the second thing that you can expect, not only... Can you expect that others will say your life is wasteful? Here's the glorious thing that you can expect. Expect for Jesus to declare that your life is beautiful. Y'all look at the end of verse 5. So they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. Listen, I get it. It is hard to live in a world that scolds you because of your devotion to Jesus. But do you know what keeps you? Do you know what gives you joy even though people disapprove of you? Even though people think you're crazy because of what you do to follow Jesus? You know what keeps us? We have a Savior that will say the same thing to us that he did to Mary. There'll be a day when all the things that you gave up for following Jesus that Jesus will look at you and he'll say, well done. The places that when people scolded you and they said you wasted it, Jesus will declare to you, you didn't waste anything. That was beautiful. You know, when you give your resources sacrificially to see the gospel spread to the four corners of the globe and people will say you wasted it, you could have spent that on a 429, you could have put that in a 401k, you could have done this and that with that money rather than wasting it. You know what Jesus will say? Beautiful. When you don't take that promotion, because you know that promotion will make work your life and it will take you away from Jesus' body, the church. People may say, you're wasting your skills. You're wasting your upward mobility. But you know what Jesus will declare at the end? He'll say, beautiful. When you are same-sex attracted, 
And instead of giving in to your attraction and your lust, you resist and you remain abstinent because of what God has said about sexuality. You may live in a world that scolds you, who will say you've wasted your life. But hold on, you will soon see a Savior that confirms you. He will say what you did was beautiful. NBC, you will not regret what you gave up for the glory of Jesus Christ. You will not regret it. It's like spending $35 on something that's priceless. He's the treasure. He's the pearl of great price. He is worthy of all that we can ever give him. It's like what the ancient hymn says, O wondrous cross, there's a line in it. And it says this, oh, were the whole realm of nature mine, if I owned everything in the universe, and if I could give it to Jesus, that would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. He is worthy of it all, ladies and gentlemen. Let's take a moment to pray together. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful for the fact that you've given us an opportunity to know you, to see the glory of who you are through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for forgiving us of ways in which we have lived life for our own glory, that we valued your creation rather than the creator. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for changing us. And Father, would you make us a people who live for your glory rather than our own? Would you make us a people who see the value and the worth of you, how much more valuable and worthy you are than the things that we grip in our hands. Father, will you help us? We need you. We love you. I pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.